Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I love, I read it last week and I'm going to read it again the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the, in the message. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What I want you to see today is that Jesus actually offers us a practice that deals with our frantic pace. Jesus actually offers us a real-life practice that would actually resist the pace and the way that the culture around us wants us to live, that there's an offering for us. I'm calling today's message, The Life of Rest We're Longing For. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at Scripture. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you offer us a different way. So grateful, Lord. That you invite us to come away with you, to live a different life. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would meet us in this. That you would speak to us. That in the places where our hearts are resistant, where would you reach under our defenses? Where would you fill me with your presence? Give me your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look today at Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty for all of you, probably. Um, Mark, chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 23. I'll give you a second. All of you have wised up to this whole game, right? Like, we have it in paper, but you know it's going to go up there. So you all are like, he says, turn the Bible. We don't know how to do that anymore. Um, We just look at it on the screen. Um, Mark 2, verse 23 says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest... He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I don't know if you've paid attention as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how often people are angry with Jesus. Have you ever paid attention to that? Like, people are just all the time angry with Jesus. People are angry at me for different reasons than they were angry with Jesus. But people are all the time angry with Jesus. And most of the time, it's because he's doing things on the Sabbath that they say he ought not be doing. Right? Have you paid attention to this? This is what he gets in trouble with 
a lot. And in this particular passage, what's the upsetting thing that they're doing is that the Pharisees are doing what is considered reaping on the Sabbath. That's work. They're picking heads of grain. There's nothing wrong with picking the heads of grain if it's any other day of the week. But because it's the Sabbath, they've actually drawn the ire of the Pharisees. And of course, Jesus as the rabbi bears the responsibility. Your disciples are doing something wrong and you haven't corrected them. And so Jesus launches into this defense, and we could spend a lot of time looking at the controversy, but for today what I want you to see is what Jesus does in verse 27. Let me read it again. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says God didn't create humans because he needed somebody to obey the Sabbath. God didn't create humans because he had this list of rules and he needed somebody to rule over. The, the reason that Sabbath was created is because God created humans that he knew would need it. That's why God created Sabbath. And so in saying this, what Jesus is saying is an essential piece of what it is to be a human being is to take one day off in every seven as a Sabbath. That one in every seven is devoted to God. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Holy means to be set apart, to be dedicated to God. Remember the Sabbath day. And so when we consider the struggle that we face, the one where we're on the rat race and our our leisure looks like silliness, when we consider that reality, we need to pay attention to the fact that Jesus is offering us a practice that looks silly to us. That it looks silly to us to take one day and say, I'm going to devote this to rest and to God. It looks silly. So what is Sabbath? I mean, we've probably heard that word a lot, but what is it? I want to show you this video. How many of you have heard of the Bible Project? You guys know these people? Tim Mackey and his crew, fantastic people. I want to show you this video from the Bible Project on the Sabbath, and then we're going to continue from there. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? 
they're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate Jubilee of freedom and rest would come but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate Jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness and all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a good video, isn't it? have a better picture of what it looks like uh, or what the Sabbath looks like in all of Scripture. And what's interesting to note is that Sabbath becomes this kingdom practice, right? We've talked about this, that the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet fully here. And as the video describes, Jesus' invitation is for us to right now live in the reality that rest has come 
with the anticipation that the ultimate rest will eventually come. This is the picture of what it is to live into Sabbath. And the practice of Sabbath involves living in intentional resistance to the pressure that comes to you. It's actually an intentional resistance that our, uh, our value is not found in what we produce or what we're able to accomplish or what we're able to achieve, but it's intentionally choosing to live into the reality that God has given us our value and that it's not based on our production. It's not based on what we can achieve. It's not based on what we can accomplish. Sabbath is different than a day off of work, right? We all know what a day off of, well, some of you know what a day off of work is like. The rest of you, you should try it sometime. It's really, really cool. Um, A day off of work is the day that you do all the work you don't get paid for, right? You cut the grass, you fold the laundry, you do the laundry. You do those in reverse order. Don't fold it first. Um, You know, you pay the bills, you do the housework, and this is a day off from work, but this is not the same Sabbath. See, Sabbath is something different. Sabbath is a whole day dedicated to the God who created you. There's a a great, uh, if you haven't heard Evan refer to this guy, John Mark Comer uh, created a a website, a company, I think. I don't know. I don't know how far it goes. Uh, But this thing called Practicing the Way, and he created this sort of structure to help us think about Sabbath in four parts. One being to stop the next being to rest, the third being to delight, and the fourth being to worship. And so I want to take just a little bit of time to take a look at these four, four pieces to help us understand Sabbath. The first one is to stop. The video told us that the word Shabbat, from which we get Sabbath, literally just means to stop. It means to be done. It means we're not working anymore. We've, we've done it all. We stop producing. So when you Sabbath, you stop. And this is a really important piece. You know, one of the things I've found to be true is that if I don't create in my own life a defined start time and a defined end time to Sabbath and put it on a calendar, if I don't have a defined start, I don't have a defined time when work stops, it just sort of bleeds in. If you've practiced Sabbath, you may have seen this. What happens is if we just say, well, it's Friday afternoon, we're going to Sabbath on Friday afternoon. Well, you know, the emails took a little bit longer, and then I was going to send this thing to that person, and then this person texted me, and it gets to be Friday evening. It's like, man, we're supposed to be Sabbathing, but I don't feel rested at all. It's helpful to have a a defined start time. So uh, a little over four years ago, I've talked about this before, but my family created uh, an intentional Sabbath time that begins at 3 o'clock on Friday and ends at 3 o'clock on Saturday. So we do 24 hours, starts on Friday evening, ends on Saturday afternoon. Uh, And and that appointment is recurring on our calendars. It's always blocked off. And we can move it if we need to, but what I've found to be true is if you move that appointment, if that appointment is allowed to be moved, it becomes almost meaningless. So we, we don't move it unless we absolutely have to. And if we move it, we try to move it uh, deliberately up so that we're never more than seven days away from a Sabbath. But what I've figured out is true is that if it's not concretely on the calendar, it doesn't happen consistently. One of the things that you can do, though, to create a defined stop time is to create some sort of rhythm around it. I've, I've explained this to you guys before. My family does the same thing every time. We get home. 
the first thing we do is every electronic device goes off. My phone actually, you know, Apple got really smart, uh, and they have these things called um, focus. You, you know these things? Where you can make your phone, like, stop taking calls from people at a certain time. So my phone, every Friday at 3 o'clock, automatically goes to Sabbath mode. And so whenever you call me at 4 o'clock and I don't answer, that's why. I don't hear your phone call because, because my phone is, is helping me to Sabbath. But we turn off all electronic devices. Jerry and I put our phones in a drawer so that we can't see them, so that the temptation goes away to like, oh, let me just check this one thing. We've, we stop, but then we start something else. There's a rhythm that we practice is we pray and we light a candle. Now, I've brought my candle here before. Uh, in preparation for this week, I listened to uh, four years ago. It's weird to listen to yourself. Four years ago, I preached about Sabbath, and I listened to it, and I had a crackling candle at the time, and I was talking about my crackling candle. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I thought it was cool. Um, but we light a candle, and we pray to start. And my kids will now pray and light the candle. There's something about playing with fire, I think, um, that they really, really enjoy. But this defines the space. And it's important, if we're going to stop, that we define this is the stop time. We will stop. Whatever we've gotten, whatever we were going to get done, it's done at 3 o'clock. And we light the candle. You can create whatever rhythm you like, but some sort of uh, clear definition is helpful. So you stop. The second one is rest. The Sabbath is this deliberate resistance against the pull to produce something. So because that's true, as soon as you try to rest, how many of you have tried to do this before? How many of you have tried to engage in Sabbath before? As soon as you try to rest, what happens? The minute you try to rest, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I forgot about that email. Oh, I told him I was going to do this thing. Oh, I forgot to order that. I forgot to put this in. I forgot to. And all of the things show up, don't they? Oh, man, the, the house is a mess. Oh, there's another load of laundry I forgot to do. My yard, I always see that my yard needs to be cut as soon as Sabbath starts. Always. It needs to be cut now. Feel free. I'll tell you where I live. You can go cut it. But this is the case, right? As soon as we intentionally press into this resistance where we're actually going to rest, what immediately happens is everything comes up that's yet to be done, right? Oh, I forgot to respond to the text message that they sent me. And what will happen if I wait for 24 hours? And we all play this game, right? Like, well, what will they think? They'll, they'll think that I'm doing this. They'll think I'm, I hate them if I don't respond. Listen, can I just give you a piece of advice? If you need to reach somebody, call them. <laughs> if you need to talk to somebody, don't text them. If you text me, you're saying, I give you 24 hours to get back to me. So if you need to get a hold of somebody, call them. But text messages all of a sudden become critical as soon as you unplug to rest. And we fill our time with the I need to, 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 don't we? And it becomes hard to rest. Which is why it's really, really important to prepare. If what you want out of a Sabbath is to rest, it's important to prepare. One of the things, and this is something that you will learn over time. One of the things that we have learned is if the house is a mess, Jerry can't rest. So the house has to at least appear clean enough. We have different standards, I think. But the house has to appear clean enough for her to actually be able to rest. You will learn the things that, that when you engage in Sabbath, the things that come to the surface. 
right? Where your soul is unsettled and you're, you're not resting. And you're like, oh, I forgot about this. And you begin to make those preparations. And it's worth taking time, taking half a day in advance and saying, I'm going to make sure that all these things are done. Here's why that's really, really important. If you prepare well to Sabbath and you light the candle and you pray, do you know what almost always happens in my house? We all fall asleep. I would bet the same will be true for you. Because what is true is almost none of us actually get enough sleep. We're unable to live the life that Jesus has invited us to live because we haven't slept enough and our blood pressure is up and our anxiety is up and it's just compounded because we haven't slept enough. And if you do a good job of preparation, what ends up happening is you fall asleep. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And I don't mean that as a joke. I mean... Sometimes the most important thing you can do for your spiritual health is to go to sleep. Take a nap. Take a handful of naps, right? Nap all the time. In our culture, almost nobody gets enough sleep. So when you remove all of the obstacles, what happens is your body says, now finally, now finally we can rest. And you go to sleep. And this is actually the state your body has been longing for all along, but you have covered it up with busyness and distraction. If you're beginning to, to uh, discover and practice Sabbath, what you're going to figure out is that your body is always longing for more sleep. Have you ever gone on like, like a retreat? You ever gone on a retreat with the intention of just like, I'm going to unplug and sort of Sabbath or rest for a few days? Every time I go on a retreat, you know what happens the first night? I fall asleep at like 7.30 and I sleep for like 12 hours, always, without fail. And I get more sleep than I used to. But this is true of you all the time. So you stop, you rest, and the third one is delight. The idea here is to enjoy the goodness of God and the things you engage in during Sabbath. This is a time to celebrate the fullness of the kingdom. And this is, I mean, you can, you can be as creative as you want. Uh, in our house, what that looks like is as soon as Sabbath starts, my daughter runs and grabs the big bag of Middlesworth uh, kettle barbecue chips. You know these? We only have them in the house. They're for Sabbath. That's the only reason they're there. So as soon as the candle gets lit, my daughter runs over and grabs the bag and brings them into the living room, which is why we have ants periodically. Um, but <laughs> you guys know this. But we share this bag of chips, and it's this just delight. It's a thing that we enjoy, but it's for Sabbath. We always buy uh, two liters of special soda. It's for Sabbath. We drink them out of uh, wine glasses at, at dinner, so it's real elegant, right? And what always happens at dinner is that we go around the table, and we just say what it is that we're thankful for, we're celebrating today. What are you celebrating? Somebody will say something and we'll all clink our soda glasses in the middle. And we go all the way around the table and we just celebrate. We're celebrating the things God is up to. And then my daughter always at the end, she stands up and runs around to the table where we can all reach each other at the same time. And she says, to God, clink the glass. Yes, to the king. 
but it's about celebrating. When we used to have more money, we used to order Chinese food in every night, every Friday night at Sabbath, and eat it with chopsticks. I'm the only one that really knows how to do that, but everybody tries. We do something special. We delight. The idea behind Sabbath is to delight in God's good creation. I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're a wine drinker, get a good bottle of wine. This is the time for it. We celebrate. If you, if you like, you know, good chocolate, get good chocolate and celebrate. It's a time. What we always do on Saturday morning in our Sabbath is we get flavored coffee. So Jerry likes some sort of delicious flavored coffee and half and half, a nice thing of half and half. And we drink good coffee. That's when we make our French press coffee if we're going to make it. We make pancakes. All my stuff revolves around food and drink. There's a good reason for that, I suppose. But you celebrate. You listen to good music. Do you, I mean, if you dance, I mean, nobody has ever seen me dance, but it happens every once in a while on Sabbath. The point of his Sabbath is to delight, to celebrate God's good creation, to delight in the goodness of God. And you can be as creative as you want to do that. So we stop, we rest, we delight. And the last one is we worship. Sabbath is this place where we come again and reorient ourselves to the reality that we are not the creator, we are the creation. And that we have a good creator who loves us, who wants good for us. And we reorient ourselves in that way. That we are not in charge, that he's in charge, and we worship him and we thank him for all of his goodness and all that he has given to us. And it can take all kinds of forms. If you're somebody that wants to Sabbath on Sunday, you can, we worship here collectively, and this is, can be the way that you start. This, everybody has asked, not everybody, lots of people ask, how do I Sabbath? Well, I don't Sabbath on Sunday because this is a work day for me. We Sabbath on Friday night to Saturday night. But the way we connect with God is sometimes it's just in quiet spaces. The celebration, the clinking of glasses, is worship. It's God, we receive everything that you've given as your goodness. We worship. Maybe you like to meditate on scripture. Maybe you like to listen to worship music and whatever works for you. But the idea here is to reorient yourself again to the creator as his beloved creation. So we stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. This is Sabbath. Here's what I know. I don't know all of your stories, but here's what I know. Many, many people have no rhythm of Sabbath. Many, many people have never taken time to create a rhythm of Sabbath and I'm not trying to put any shame on you, but what I want you to do right now is take your temperature. What is your rhythm of Sabbath? And be honest with yourself. What is your rhythm? And if it takes you some time to think about it and go, well, it's, uh, yeah, you probably don't have a rhythm. And again, I'm not trying to shame you, but because Sabbath is an intentional act of resistance, the amount of intentionality that it takes means that you will know what it is. 
Because it takes intentionality. You actually have to plan for it. You have to prep it. What I want to suggest is that probably part of the reason that you know that you're supposed to experience life in all its fullness, but you experience something different, has to do with the fact that you don't have a Sabbath rhythm. The life that you long for begins in a rhythm of Sabbath. And what may be true for you is that you are too exhausted to experience the blessing of the kingdom, namely love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you listen to that list and you say, oh, that doesn't mark my life, can I offer you the suggestion that maybe what you need is a Sabbath practice? Maybe that's a good place to start. When you find yourself constantly angry with people, somebody pulls in front of you on the highway and you have to get them or at least run up on their bumper so that they know that you saw it. Perhaps I'm describing some people's lives right now. I can see it in your faces. When you gotta, always got to one-up somebody, you can't celebrate people. You can't be happy for people. Perhaps what's missing is a rhythm of Sabbath. Can I offer that as a suggestion today? And what I'm sure some of you are thinking is... You don't know my life. You don't know how it would be impossible for me to actually find 24 hours to take off. You don't know my life. My kids play all the sports, right? My kids are in all the things. And you want me to be in a life group and be on a service team. You're ridiculous. You don't know my life. I can't find 24 hours. And what is true is I don't know your life. But what I also know is true is you can't find 24 hours. Nobody can. It's not like you find 24 hours and now I can have a Sabbath. You see, because this culture and the world around you will take everything you give it. And so what it already does is it takes all seven days, doesn't it? Sabbath is an intentional act of resistance. You actually have to be deliberate about saying no to things to actually have a Sabbath life. You actually have to take steps forward. Nobody just finds 24 hours. And if you find 24 hours, what do you do? You fill it with dumb stuff, don't you? Maybe it's just me. I fill my life with dumb stuff, right? If I find 24 hours, nobody finds 24 hours. You have to be deliberate. You have to do it on purpose. Sabbath is not something that you add to your life. Sabbath is something that you create by taking things out of your life. That's how you make Sabbath. And for some of you, you, would say, you realize that the reason you don't have a Sabbath is because you have too many things in your life. You have said yes to everything. Can I just offer this little suggestion? Your kids are probably not going to be professional athletes. 
So it may be okay if you say, we're going to take 24 hours every week. Probably not going to be professional. Even if they are, they still need Jesus. Do you know that? I'll let that one sit right there. (laughs) Just stay. Don't throw anything at me. The reality is is that you're probably carrying a burden that God didn't design you to carry. Your calendar is a burden God didn't design you to carry. Perhaps the way you get started is not that you throw 24 hours. Perhaps the way you get started is you say, I'm going to say no to one thing every week so that I can have four hours. And you run these same four things, right? You stop. I'm going to take four hours. I'm taking from 1 o'clock till 5 o'clock every Sunday. I'm going to leave church, get something to eat, and at 1 o'clock I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to pray. So I'm stopping and then I'm going to rest. What will happen is you'll take a nap. You're taking a nap on Sunday afternoon anyway, right? Wesley an hour, as I recall. You're going to stop, you're going to rest, you're going to delight, and you're going to worship. And maybe what you have is I can do Sunday 1 to 4 every week. And that's how it starts. And you put that on your calendar, and for four hours every week, this is devoted to God. And that's how it starts. And you say no to things that want to take your four hours. And then after all that sort of gets carved out and it's a routine and a rhythm for you, now you say, well, what would it look like if I went from four hours to eight hours? And that's going to require you to say no to more things. But we still haven't even gotten to what your body is designed to handle, what God created you to handle, but we're getting closer. And so you say, no, now you have eight hours. And then you say, hold on, we're going to get really risky. We're going to take half a day. We're going to take 12 hours. But progressively, you can make Sabbath in your life. And you get to the point where you have 24 hours that's wholly devoted to God. What I can tell you is that this practice will take intentionality. But what you will begin to experience is something of the fullness of life that God offers. But it takes intentionality. Here's how I want to end this. I think for some of you, you actually do have a a practice of Sabbath. There are some of you who have devoted yourselves to having a Sabbath space. And I want you just in this space, worship team is somewhere, and they will come back up and, and play music here in a minute. But I want you to take just a little bit of time, and I just want you to offer gratitude to God for Sabbath, like deliberately. I want you to just pray and offer thanksgiving to God for the Sabbath practice that you have. But what I would guess is that there are a lot of us in this room that have no Sabbath rhythm. And I don't want you to feel shame or guilt or anything, but what I think the invitation to us today is that you might open yourself right now and ask the Lord, what is one step I can take toward Sabbath practice? What is one thing I can say no to on a regular basis so that I can say yes to Sabbath? And so that's what I want us to do. Like, I'm not even going to have anybody coming out and pray for you, but I want you, like, whether, if you have a practice, I want you to just thank God for it. If you don't, I want you to ask the Lord right now, what is one thing, what is one step I can take 
so that I can begin to experience the life that Jesus invites me into. And so once you've gotten to that place, you can stand and sing this last song. But I want you to take it seriously. If it means you've got to pull your calendar out and send a text message to somebody and say, hey, I, I can't meet this time anymore because I'm trying to create a, a habit of Sabbath. I want you to do that. Don't leave here by just saying, oh, that sounds nice, but having made no steps. Take a step. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.